Our scripture reading today is from Mark 9, verses 14 through 29. You can read along in your Bible, in your bulletin, or on the screen behind me. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had answered, entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Lake Baldwin Church. <laughs> How many of you, when Mike was talking about that water slide, were thinking, I could use that about right now? Right, I was thinking that, I was thinking that myself. Um, funny story I want to tell you. My very first time I preached in a church, there was no AC. The AC had gone, never done it before, it went out. And so as I came in this morning, I was confronted with that wave of heat and humidity. I was, I was kind of dumbfounded and thinking, what is going on? What am I supposed to make of this? And this is what I've come to. I must be in the right place. I must be in the right place, right? <laughs> because there's no AC again. Um, yeah, but we, yeah, someone's got to pinch me. Uh, I cannot believe that we are finally here, uh, that we're settled in Orlando, and we're just looking forward. We're just so excited to be a part of this wonderful community and to be a part of the great work that God is doing here at Lake Baldwin Church. We're just so excited. I want you guys to know that. Now, to kick off the message this morning, I want to start with a company whose name you may not have heard of. It's called Laugh-O-Gram Studios. Laugh-O-Gram Studios, how do you like that name? Um, wondering, because this is Orlando, I think there may be one or two people who have heard the story of Laugh-O-Gram Studios. It's actually Walt Disney's very first company that he started back in 1920. And the thing about it is, is that it failed. It failed shortly thereafter. 
But Walt didn't stop there, as you know. He got himself up, and what did he do? He moved himself all the way to L.A. And what do people move to L.A. to do? Well, a lot of people move there to do what? Take up acting. And he tried that, but guess what? He failed again, and he failed miserably. Walt Disney would not see success, or at least a little version of success, until he created a character called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Interesting name, huh? But the interesting thing about this is that story also would end in failure. And here's how the story goes. Walt was on his way from L.A. to New York, and he's thinking, you know, I'm going to negotiate a huge, wonderful contract because I've got this great character that's starting to see success. And when he gets there, what does he find out? He finds out that his producer stole the idea, stole his entire animation team right out from underneath him. That's a bummer, right? Well, things would change for Walt. And it would change when he turned around, got back on that train, and he was on his way to L.A. And he didn't sit there and fume, plot revenge, call his lawyer. He did what he liked to do when he was a kid. He took to drawing and sketching. And what did he do? He came up with the character that we know today as Mickey Mouse. And as they say, the rest is history. Well, our passage today is about failures and it is also about a success, but not in something like business, something much more important. It's about not failing in our faith. And we're going to look at it by looking at three failures. We're going to look at the failure of the disciples, the failure of the scribes, and the father's failure as well. And unlike Walt Disney's story, this is not going to be a story about trying harder. It's not going to be about that. And like every good story, like Walt's story, there was a turn when he got back on that train. There's a turn in this narrative that we're going to look at, and it happens when the father responds in faith. We're going to look at that closely. And finally, we're going to wrap up and look at Jesus's gracious response. And so in your head, you can think of it as an outline of three failures and two responses. Before we jump into the scripture, would you bow your heads with me and let's ask for God's blessing on this time. Mighty God, Heavenly Father, it's so wonderful to worship you. Even though it's hot and sticky, you are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of our devotion and to be here in this place. And we thank you that we have this great privilege. Would you be with us now as we look at your word May you soften our hearts and open our eyes that may be transformed into the likeness of your son. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Well, last week, I wanna set the context for you. Last week, Mike preached about the transfiguration. So this is what happens before the episode that we're looking at this morning. And what was happening there was basically a worship service. The disciples, three of them, were with Jesus on the mountain. They were experiencing worship. And then what happens when we approach our passage? They're coming down the mountain, and what do they encounter? Well, they encounter a crowd, a commotion. They encounter a, an argument. The disciples are arguing with the scribes. And what a stark contrast it is to go from that spiritual high down to earth to an earthly 
reality. And some of us have probably experienced things that, like that as well, right? We might have been here at Lake Baldwin worshiping God and, and have some kind of spiritual high, and we walk out the door and get in the car, and lo and behold, we're in an argument with our wife or the kids or someone at the office calls us with a crisis, and we are confronted with an earthly reality. So you can see that's how it felt. That's what the tone was. And what do you suppose they were arguing about? What do you suppose they were arguing about? Because the scripture actually doesn't fill in those details for us. But because we know about the, the scribes and the disciples and their history, and because we know the situation is about the failure of the disciples to heal, we probably can surmise that they were arguing about the fact of, well, who are these disciples to be doing this type of work? Right? Only God can heal. Whose authority is it to heal? And then ultimately, the conversation or the argument probably got to the question of Jesus, right? Who is this Jesus that you're following? Who is this Jesus? What is his authority? And I can't think of any better question that all of us should be asking this morning than who is this Jesus? Well, you get the idea. It's a tense situation, a lot of emotion, reputations, are at stake, and then Jesus shows up, and let's see what's gonna happen. We're gonna look at the disciples' failure, and the question we're gonna want to answer is why did they fail? Let's look at verse 17 and 18, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now, did you catch that last part, right? What happened? The father basically threw the disciples underneath the bus in front of everyone, right? In front of the scribes, their adversaries, and unfortunately, in front of their master and Lord Jesus, and they must have felt a lot of shame. Perhaps you've been in a situation just like that. But we have it here, right here in the scripture. Their failure was that they failed to cast out that unclean spirit. But was that failure simply that? Or was it the cause of some other failure beforehand? So we want to go dive in and we want to diagnose this failure in detail. And we're going to do so by looking at not only the Mark account, but I also want to look at the Matthew account. And in Mark verse 28, in chapter 9, it says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, of course, you don't do this in front of everyone, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but by prayer. And there it is, our first clue that they failed to pray. Now hang with me. Let's look at the account in Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 through 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus, he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. 
Now, you may be sitting here this morning and hearing those two accounts and thinking to yourself, well, it sounds like those passages are contradicting. But I want us to keep in mind that these are accounts. These are synopses, right? And so when Mark was hearing from Peter, who was present, the account of what happened in that room realized that it was probably an entire conversation that was going on. It was a lot, probably a lot of dialogue and questions going back and forth. And when, years later, when Mark is going to write his account, he's, he's going to recall that Peter said, you know what I walked away from that conversation? I walked away that Jesus said we did not pray. And then years later, when Matthew would, would, would think about that conversation, and he would capture what stood out to him, and what stood out to him was we had little faith. We had little faith. So these, these passages are not contradictory. They're actually complementary. They go together. And so this idea of little faith and lack of prayer, they're going to go together as well. We're going to see that they go together. And now I want to explain what is meant by little faith. When Jesus says little faith, and this is really important for us to understand because this is the source of a lot of bad theology and bad practice. He is not referring to the size nor the amount of our faith. Why? Because he's going to talk about you having faith as of a mustard seed. And the mustard seed to them was the smallest seed. So it's not about having faith as big as an avocado seed. He's not saying have more faith. What he's talking about is the quality of their faith. Their faith was poor it was impoverished. It lacked quality because the object of their faith was misplaced. The object of their faith was misplaced. Now, some of you in here probably can understand this illustration I'm about to give you. You might have been going through a difficult time. And some person who is very well-meaning has come up to you and said, you know, if you would just have more faith, Fill in the blank. Your depression would go away. Your marriage would be restored. That relationship would be healed. Your cancer would be healed. Your job would improve. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying try harder that you need more faith. Think about this with me. If that's what it's about, having more faith, then what does it say? Our faith is in. Our faith is in faith. Or having more of it. That doesn't make any sense at all. We don't depend on having more faith. It's the object of our faith that makes the difference. The disciples, they failed to heal because the object of their faith was not Jesus. So perhaps they depended on a formula that they had used in the past. Like, in Jesus' name, I command that unclean spirit to come out. Maybe they relied on that, or maybe because we know from the narrative of earlier chapters that they have had success in casting out demons and healing people. So maybe they were relying on past successes, or perhaps they had gotten to this point where they've been doing it so often and have been successful that they were relying on their own abilities. I've got this. I've got this, right? But sure enough, their faith is not rooted in Jesus. I want to make this connection now. Little faith, lack of prayer. Little faith, lack of prayer. When we depend on anything except Christ,
Christ, we're not going to pray. When we depend on anything except for Christ, we will not pray. And to say it another way, if we think we can do life on our own, we are not going to pray. And so what about us this morning? You know, a good barometer of our faith or what we're depending on is actually to look at our own prayer life. And so the question is, is what does your barometer read this morning? Does it read good weather because you're depending fully upon Christ for everything and it's manifested in a vibrant prayer life? Or does it read fair weather? Fair weather because uh, sometimes I'm relying on Jesus and, you know, most of the time I've got it, Jesus, and I don't need his help all the time. Or does it read stormy weather? Stormy weather. Why? Because I'm trying harder. I'm trying in my own strength, and I rarely, if ever, go to Jesus. Growing in the Christian life is not growing in independence and in your capability. Growing in the Christian life is about growing in our dependence upon Christ for everything, and that's manifested in our own prayer life. Well, let's look now at the scribes, their failure. We see this in verse 26. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. He is dead. Now, I'm making the assumption here that the loudest voice that's dominating the crowd is the scribes, right? And I say that because they are the most powerful people standing there in that culture. And they're the ones that are just waiting to pounce on yet another failure. But they would soon eat their words. They would soon eat their words. But it shows their level of skepticism. And they're blind to who it is they're standing right in front of. Well, maybe you're here this morning. You have a little bit of skepticism in your heart about maybe some of the things I'm saying or some of the songs that we're singing. And this is what I would say to you. First of all, man, I have a huge huge amount of respect for you, that you would come here, that you would participate, that you would open yourself up to these ideas, and I so appreciate you being here. The question I would encourage you to think about, though, is who or what are you trusting in? Because every one of us in this room are depending upon something. Even if we say we don't believe in God, we are depending on something. We're depending perhaps on our own assessment like the scribes themselves. They had their own assessment of who this Jesus was. What are you depending upon? Paul says this in Romans chapter one. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are, are without excuse. Our scripture here is saying that God has revealed himself in the things that he has made. He's revealing his attributes, who he is. And it says it's, he's, it's revealing his power. It's revealing that he is divinity. He is not like us. And so, yes, when we look at those wonderful mountains in Tennessee or the ocean, or we look at the sunsets or the pictures from the James Webb Telescope, when we consider the complexity of the human body, how it all works together, and the fact that in this world, there's a thing 
called beauty that we seem to be drawn to that doesn't make any logical sense that if this world was just biological, chemical, material, what is this thing called beauty? I hope if you've got questions this morning that you would continue this dialogue with us. Come and seek me out after church. Shoot me a message. My email is on the website. I'd love to hear your story, the journey that you're on. And if you'd give me the privilege, I'd love to share my story, the journey that I am on. Well, let's look now at the father's failure. We see this in verses 21 and 22. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often, often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That little word, if, that little word, if, what does it communicate? It communicates doubt. It communicates a lack of surety because you see the father doesn't really know. He's not sure who is this Jesus. And I'm reminded of another person in scripture who went to Jesus with a very similar request. We're not gonna turn there, but it's in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew. We see the, the narrative about the Roman centurion. And he asked Jesus the same thing, heal my servant. But you know the way he asked it is very interesting. This is what he says. He says, Jesus, you don't even have to come to me to my house to heal him. Just say the word and he will be healed. And that's the contrast I want you to see. You see, the this, this centurion knew before whom he was making this request. He knew that he was Lord of all. He knew that he had the power to just say the word and his servant would be healed. The father is not there. He's not there yet. We're gonna see that he's gonna move from failure to faith. So let's look at the father's response in verses 23 and 24. And Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, these words, I believe, help my unbelief, to me, boy, those are some of the most sweetest words in all of Scripture, even for people who have been following Christ. The best way I can describe the father's response is that it's a childlike response. And there are three ways that I would characterize it as being childlike. He admits his need, he asks for help, and he is real. He is being real. Now, maybe you've watched a young child in your life sometime. Maybe you're a parent and you've watched a young child try to do something that they were not quite skilled enough to do. Perhaps like tying a shoe. And you're, and you're peering behind the corner and it's their first time and they're trying to get their shoes on and yay, they've got their shoes on. And then they're trying to tie that knot that they've seen you do over and over again and they're doing it for themselves. Of course, they're making a total mess of it. Uh, but you're watching their face in particular and you're seeing that excitement change to frustration, maybe anger, right? Tears are starting to well up, you know, because they're not getting any closer until suddenly they blurted out, Mom, Dad, help me, help me tie my shoes. And that's kind of the response here of the father, right? Father admits he needs help. And then he asks for help, 
right? His faith is turning. In other words, what is he depending on? It's turning towards Jesus. Perhaps in that conversation, in that argument, he was, well, I was, I was thinking the disciples would do this. Uh, and then, then, oh, wow, the scribes, they sound really they, like they know what they're doing. And then he was shifting his hope in, in his trust in the scribes. But now we see he's turning towards the only one who can help him. So he asks for help, he admits his need, and he is being real, just like that child, right? Crying out to you, coming, running with tears and frustration, maybe anger, completely messy and undone. And that's what we see in the Father. He is completely undone in front of Jesus. Paul Miller says this in A Praying Life, when we stop being ourselves with God, we are no longer in a real conversation with God. Interesting, right? Because why is that? Because prayer is a real conversation with God. It's a relationship. And have you ever been in a relationship with the other person, they kind of had up a facade, they kind of had up a mask, and they weren't being the real person with you? That's not a real conversation. That's not a real relationship. God wants us in prayer to bring the real self to him. We need to be open and we can't fake it, right? That means we bring our failures, our emotions, our doubts, we bring everything, our messiness and even our sin to him and that's what the Father does. He got real with Jesus. He let it all hang out. And the reality is this idea of I have faith, help my unbelief, that's, that's the story of us as well. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, this is your story. You have belief, but you also have unbelief. You have unbelief every time you do not depend on Christ for everything and you fail to pray. And your unbelief is also manifested when you sin, when you break God's law. And why is that? Because you're believing something else other than the promises and the goodness of God. You're saying that something else will satisfy me. Something else is better than God, and it's showing your unbelief. So we all, like the Father, have the same issue. We are filled with faith, but we are filled also with unbelief. I'm uh, overheating up here, <laughs> and it's, uh, everything is uh, swimming right in front of me. Mm. Yeah, that water looks really good. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, hon. That would be something on my first sermon to just pass out right in front of you guys, huh? <laughs> uh. Let's look now at Jesus' gracious response. We're gonna wrap up with this in verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And I want you guys to see how stunning of a response this is, that Jesus would heal the boy, right? I think if it was me, I would say, uh, no, you need to try harder. You need to come back when you've figured out who I am and what I can do. Or I might say something like that, you know, say it again to me, say it nicely, but don't use that word if, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And it gives us a peek into the very heart of our great God. He deals with the Father in compassion and tenderness. 
Isaiah, the prophet, hundreds of years before Jesus came, he would say this about Jesus in, in chapter 42. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. God will deal tenderly with you. If you come to him in childlike faith, just like that father, he will deal graciously with you. And so if you're here this morning, if you're seeking just like that father, maybe you are a person who's skeptical, I encourage you. That prayer that the, the father said is a prayer that can be yours. Jesus, I have unbelief. Help me. Help me. And the promise is that he will not turn away from you. He will not turn away from you. This is the wonderful thing about Christianity, which separates it from all the other religions that are out there. We are not demanding, Christ does not demand that you become better. Christ does not demand that you try harder or be better. We don't have to do because he has done. He don't have to be perfect because Christ is the perfect one for us. And by grace and through faith in him and what he has done on the cross, we can receive forgiveness of our sins. We can receive his perfection, his righteousness. And if you're here this morning and you follow, are following Christ, maybe you have blown it. Maybe you have failed like the Father. Maybe you've blown it over and over and over again. And I want to just encourage you, the one that we go to is tender towards us. He always stands and waits for us. So won't you go back to him? Well, I would encourage you to respond to God's word in this way. Mike had mentioned the August prayer initiative, and he explained it well. Um, I would encourage you to engage in that August prayer initiative. Hudson Taylor said this. Now, Hudson Taylor, uh, probably the most famous missionary to China in the late 1800s. This is what he would say. I have seen many men work without praying, though I have never seen any good come out of it. But I have never seen a man pray without working. And let that first part never be said of us. We aspire to do great things at LBC. You guys know what we're about. We're about bringing the good news to the lost, the found, the city, and the world. We cannot do that on our own. We cannot do that apart from God. So I urge you, I encourage you, join with me in depending upon God for this work and praying in the month of August. Would you pray with me? Mighty God, thank you for this morning. Your name is great and worthy to be praised. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to clean up ourselves to come to you, but you are eagerly awaiting us to come. If we would only come to you and ask for help, you will not cast us out, you will not berate us, you will not make fun of us, but you will receive us. And we thank you for that marvelous marvelous grace. And I pray for the one in here this morning who might have failed, might have blown it big time. Lord, I pray that you would soften their heart. Call them back to yourself this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.